born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. I'm speaking on a subject that I really don't need to speak on because everybody knows that Christmas is all about getting gifts and Santa Claus and snowmen and you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to go ahead and cover this anyway because I do believe that it's important that people know really what it's all about. Turn in your Bible to the book of Titus chapter 2. The book of Titus and chapter 2. We refer to this verse every Sunday when we read our statement of faith that we believe here. And I um, want to run it by you because I believe it's a great Christmas verse. Tells us what it's all about. You'll notice there in Titus in chapter 2, it says, For the grace of God, in verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation. That phrase alone is about Christmas. It's why... God provided a body for the Son of God to live in. I want you to look there in your notes at the first statement that I made here. I got to thinking about that the other day because, you know, I love prophecy. And I was wondering about all these prophetic sayings in the Old Testament. And I thought God was simply introducing His Son to the world. It's like sometimes you meet somebody and they'll say, now blah, 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 this is blah, 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 blah. And he is the president of blah, 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 blah. So you go through that all the time. Well, here's God, the Father, the eternal Father. You know, you can't be an eternal Father unless you have an eternal Son. And so the Father is introducing His Son to the world. Let me tell you a little bit about Him. I want you to know who He is. You're talking about a chip off the block. Jesus is just like the Father. So he came, he says, you know, he that hath seen me, seen the Father. But now notice what he says here, or I have in the notes here, prophecy was the eternal Father's way of introducing his eternal Son to the world. Jesus Christ did not begin his existence when he was born in Bethlehem. He simply changed his place of residence. Jesus is salvation. So when he talks about the grace of God that bringeth salvation... Jesus Christ brought salvation. Jesus Christ is our salvation. Jesus Christ is grace. Because without Jesus Christ, there is no gospel. There is no salvation. So I um, wrote a few things here. Look at the next statement. This virgin-born, perfect, holy child 
met all the qualifications necessary to become the Lamb of God. He became the author of the eternal salvation plan. Because God did not have a plan to save anybody for just a day or just a week. His plan from the very beginning was to save a man from hell, give him eternal life, and he can know that he's going to heaven whenever he dies. And it was eternal security. It was all interwoven in this plan that God had, which was the hope of all mankind. The true test of grace is that salvation must be free and that it must last forever. When we talk about grace... If it is by grace, then it has to be free. And if it is free, it has to last forever because there can be no cost added to it afterwards. That means that there's nothing that I can do. I know no payments that I have to make. I did not get saved on the installment plan. No, he made my payment in full when he died on the cross for me. Now, in your notes there, I also made this statement. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared. That's past tense. That's what he's already done. In verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. That's now. And then in verse 13, looking for that blessed hope, And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the future. That's what I'm looking forward to. So we often say that when you get saved, you're saved, saved, saved. It means there's three tenses in salvation. You see, and you'll look there at number one. Now this is important for everyone to understand this. Because Christmas is not just about a baby being born. He came to save the world. To save. So there's something we needed to be saved from. When he died on the cross and paid for my sins, he saved me from the penalty of sins. means that I never have to pay that penalty. I can never spend eternity separated from God. I have no sins to pay for. He paid for all my sins. Now in my life, in my life, since the time I've trusted the Lord, which has been 57 and a half years ago, He is saving me from the power of sin that's in my flesh and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and also from the devil's influence in my life. So I'm being saved. I have been saved from the penalty. It means I'll never go to hell. It's impossible. He paid for how many of my sins? All of them. So penalty's been paid. I don't have a penalty to pay. Now, in my life, he wants to save me from the power of that old sinful nature that still lives inside of my physical body. Remember, when God saved you, he didn't give you a new body. It still has that old sinful nature. And I've said this before, I'll just mention it very briefly again. When you got up this morning and looked in the mirror, and if you looked in that mirror and you were ugly, you came to church, trust Christ as your Savior, go back home, look in the mirror, you're still ugly. He did not change the body. It still looks the same. It will act the same. It still had the same sinful desires that's in your physical body. So in number one, we're saved from the penalty of sin. That means I can't go to hell. Number two, we are being saved from the power of sin. But that is dependent upon your walking with the Lord. 
if you will allow the Lord to work in your life. And if you will study the word of God and find out what God wants to do and let his desire be greater than the desires to be like the world, you can have victory. But if you don't, you won't. So whether you live a life that's pleasing to God or displeasing to God is your choice. But there is the power that you need already dwelling within you because God gave to you and to I the power of the Holy Spirit living within us to teach us the Word of God so that we might walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is nothing more than um, being in obedience to the Word of God. Don't ask God to lead God and direct you outside of this book. If you want God to guide you, study the Bible. You can't just trust Christ as Savior, have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, and live however you want to and think that you're doing what God wants. That don't work that way. It won't work. You are going to be limited according to your own human understanding. So you transform your life by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or discover whether that's good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Number three there in your notes. We will be saved someday down the road from the very presence of sin. Let's say, for example, everybody on this side dies physically right now. Don't do it. But you all die physically. You will be delivered from this world. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So you all get to go to be with the Lord. You are then going to be glorified. Uh, these people over here, they're still walking around in this old sinful body. We studied in Sunday school, the Bible described it as a vile body. It's a body of humiliation. We're always ashamed of things that we say, think, and do. So it humbles us. So we have this old physical body. When the Lord comes, it says these bodies that are in the graves, and you're already in heaven, they're going to be raised first. The dead in Christ shall be raised first. That doesn't refer to the Presbyterians. You'll be raised first, these bodies. And those that are alive, well, they'll put on immortality. And these will be made incorruptible. And our bodies are going to be changed, and we'll have a glorified body. Now, that's when God is going to deliver us from the very presence of sin. Because we'll be with the Lord in heaven. And we'll have glorified bodies. Now, that is what God has done. So when Christ came into the world, the purpose was to save, save, save. To save us from the penalty of sin. Save us from the power of sin. And one day, save us from the very presence of sin. Now, we're looking forward to that. But all three of these things have something that's unique about them. Look what he says here. Letter A, we are saved from the penalty of sin the moment you believe. You ought to circle that word moment. The moment you believe. That is done at one time in your life. You can never have this happen to you twice. Nobody can get saved twice. You can only get born again one time. I asked a man one time, I says, are you, are you saved? He said, yes, I am. I said, so you've been born again? He said, many times. <laughs> I thought, we're not on the same page. Because being born again, God giving to you eternal life, you becoming a child of God can only happen once. It's a moment in time. 
So after 75 years of my life, there has to be one time in my life where I have trusted Christ as my Savior and been born into God's family. So there was a date. There was a time. And I remember it well. I was there. And I deliberately made a choice to trust Christ as my Savior. So that was at a moment in time. That is when God justified me. So I have been justified. What it means is that in God's eyes, when he took that payment Christ made for all of my sins, applied that to me, then he looks at Yankee and says, he has no sins to pay for. He's good to go. He's just as if he had never sinned. So I'm justified just as if I had never sinned. That happens at a moment in time, the very moment you trusted Christ as your Savior. You say, I didn't feel it. No, it's not by feeling. It's by the fact of God's Word. God said it. God doesn't have to even repeat it. He can just say it one time, and it's good enough. Look at the uh, verse here we look at. Your theological description is called justification. It's when you're justified before God. That's why later on you'll read Scripture talk about the just, the just, and the unjust. The just you are now the just. That's who you are. That's what you are. That's how you're looked upon. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 in your notes there. When he says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. That means it's already done. It's already a done deal. I am not living my life now trying to hope that I can get saved in the end where God will take me to heaven. No, I'm already going to heaven. So there's nothing in my life that I can do. I can't add anything to it, take anything away from him. It's a done deal, and God cannot go back upon his word. I have eternal life. I'm going to heaven. It was not given to me upon the condition that I promised that I'm going to be a good little boy from here on out. No, this was a gift. It was by grace. Grace means unmerited. It means you don't deserve it. But still, in most people's mind, they cannot grasp that. Well, you can't tell me that's all you've got to do. Okay, what do you want to add to it? Anything you add to it doesn't belong there. And anything you add to it annuls grace. You can't add to it. You're saved by the grace of God. Not because of any work you did, but because of the work that He did. And He gives it to you as a gift. Look at the next statement, number two. These are my favorite verses in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Why did God make salvation as a gift? So nobody can brag that they're going to heaven because of how good they are. This keeps those highfalutin, egotistical, pharisaical individuals from looking down their long pharisaical nose at others and thinking they're like Kellogg's cornflakes just a little bit better. And you begin to despise others. Boy, I'm so righteous. I'm so good. Look at me. And God says, you don't get it. In God's eyes, you're all the same. You're all short of God's perfection. And salvation was provided for everybody. So the only thing you had to do is trust Christ as Savior. That's the only reason any of us will go to heaven. It's not going to be because of any other good deed you've ever done. Now, that blows most people's mind, but that's still the truth. Look at the next statement, number three. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that do what? That believe. This is why it looks like it's so foolish. It shouldn't work. It shouldn't be like that. Everybody knows good people ought to go to heaven. Bad people ought to go to hell. Everybody ought to know that. But if you really believe that, 
understand this. In God's eyes, there is none good. We're all bad. So guess what? You were right. All bad ones ought to go to hell. But that included you. Nobody has ever lived good enough to deserve to go to heaven. Look at the next statement. John 3, 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Romans 3, 24, being justified. Look at the next words. Freely by his grace through the redemption because of that payment Christ made. We're justified freely. Look at page two. Letter B, top of the page. This is where we are right now. This is during our lifetime. After you trusted Christ as your Savior, now this pertains to you and I. We are being saved from the power of sin in your life. That's in the process of time. How long have you lived? Are you growing in the Lord since the day you trusted the Lord? Are you stronger spiritually now? Not just do you go to church. You don't necessarily grow just because you go to church. You don't necessarily grow just because you give money. See, that's a spiritual wall between you and your Heavenly Father. Are you more Christ-like? Do you have the character of Christ in your life? Do you want to honor the Lord in everything that you say, think, and do? And whatsoever you put your hands to do, do it with all of your might for the God's honor and glory. Why do you live? Why do you do what you do? Is more important than what you have done. So in your Christian life, you study the Bible because the Bible is God's love letter to his children. And so your heavenly father wants to talk to his child. And he wants to raise you. And when we talk about we are being saved from the power of sin, that's the way it should be. But it does not mean it's automatic. It doesn't mean God overrides your will. And everybody's going to grow. No. Some of God's people trust Christ as Savior. They're his children. And they're running around in diapers. Wouldn't it be a shame? That's the way you are seen as a child of God running around in your diapers. Acting like a little baby. Whining and moaning and groaning and playing silly little games like a little child. But that's the way some of God's children are because they never grow and mature. And they cannot handle spiritual responsibilities. Can you tell yourself what to do that's right and then make yourself behave? You're either spiritually minded or carnally minded. And if you're carnally minded, it means you mind the things of the world. You set your affections upon the world and not upon the things of God. You're a child in the faith. You're not grown up yet. You're not mature in the Lord. Can you walk with the Lord? Have you learned how to cast all of your cares upon him? Or do you worry about everything that comes along? Or you're a powder keg, you're the short fuse. And the Bible says long suffer means you've got a long fuse. Now notice, down at the next scripture, number three, he says, And that knowing the time, but now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. In other words, we're running out of time. Days are passing along, and here we are, and there's so much that God wants us to do. Now, up there at number one, I want you to see this. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, Take heed unto thyself, and unto the doctrine continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Lots of God's children 
are not watching out for themselves. If the man of the home, who's supposed to be the spiritual head of the home, if he doesn't protect himself and do right, how can he do right by his wife or his children? You can't. And you won't. If you let yourself be led by the world, then don't expect the wife or the children to follow God if you don't follow God. You're the head of the home. Every man ought to be a spiritual, godly individual and set his face like a flint, and he makes a difference in his life. This is called sanctification. That's the theological description. It means that you have been sanctified, been made pure and holy, and set apart for God. Now, as a saint of God, you're supposed to live like a saint. You mean i got to live holy? No, this is what God wants. Are you ashamed to live holy? Are you ashamed to live godly? Are you afraid of what people might say and think? Let me tell you this. This is not a Trump commercial. But I don't even know if the man has even trusted the Lord or what he knows about the Lord. But I like what he's doing and I like what he says. And he doesn't appear to be a coward. He has more grit than any man that I've met in politics in my life. At least somebody is willing to stand up against all these nations around the world. And says, this is where we stand. This is what we're going to do. Take it or leave it. When it comes to your Christian life, do you have any true grit? I'm going to live for God and it doesn't matter what anybody else says or thinks. I want to be a godly man. And if anybody wants to call me a self-righteous, holy Joe, then let it be. But God says, be ye holy for I am holy. Does God want you to live a holy life? Does God want you to mature in the Lord, to be a godly individual? I believe so. And should we? Yes, we should. Look at number two. James chapter 1 verse 21 says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. Your soul's already been saved. This has saved your life. This is this period of time that you have. That God's given to you to live after you trusted Christ as your Savior. Does God want your life to be used for Him? And you'll lose your life if you live for yourself. You'll save your life if you live it for Christ. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You've heard that a thousand times. And Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Me to live is, what is it for you to live? What is that word that belongs out there? For me to live is what? I hope that's Christ. Look at the next statement. Number three, Philippians chapter two. And verse 12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, let me ask you this. You ever have some kids come along and they started getting up around 10, 11, 12, and you feel like, you know, they ought to know enough that I, I can go to the store and I can leave them at home and uh, they'll do right. And you trust them. And you come home and you wish you had never left. And some of them can look you dead in the eye and lie to you and you know they're lying. And some of them you just can't trust them. When your kid finally gets to be 16 years old, should it automatically be that when they get 16, they deserve a car and their driver's license? They deserve it because they're 16. 
if you can't trust them when they're 15. And when they finally turn 16, I still don't know if I would trust them. I made a couple of mistakes in my life. I uh, went to town, found this perfect little car for Trina. She just got old enough she could drive. And I, Daddy, I wanted to surprise her. And I got this little yellow Volkswagen. And I pulled it up inside, and I went in the house. And I told my daughter, Trina, I says, to look outside. She went and looked. Mine? 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 Yes, that's yours. I said, but it, it needs to be washed. It needs to be cleaned out. I said, so get the hose, and you wash it. That girl, she opened up the doors. She took the hose and hosed everything down. <laughs> Inside and outside. It would not run. It had contacts and it, everything was, it would not start. And she, uh, I could have. <laughs> so later, I got uh, a car from my son. He was about a year and a half behind her. He finally got old enough. I'm going to treat this boy right. He's been fairly good so far. I was pushing it, you know, but I went and found this jalopy. I mean, it It ran. It looked like sin. It was the dirtiest looking old Ford that I could have found. But it was all that I could afford at the time. But at least it had four wheels, it had a motor, and you could steer it. It would go. So I got the thing, and I, I went and hit it. And I came home. And I walked in the house, told David. I said, David, I says, um, happy birthday. He looked at car? Me? Car? He ran outside and he looked, and there was no car. He said, where's the car? I said, you'll have to go find where it fits. There's a car around a couple blocks from here. And I said, you go find Now, that was not a wise thing to do. <laughs> that kid, he was trying Mercedes and BMWs. <laughs> I guess he couldn't see them there. Ford. Forward. Anyway, in about 10 minutes, here comes that pile of junk up into the yard. And he was, he, he says, I can have it. It's my car. I said, yeah. He says, can I go drive it now? I said, sure you can. He put it in reverse and backed into the car across the street. <laughs> you know, I think God is a God in heaven who wants to do good things for his children. So he gives you time, gives you a certain amount of wisdom opportunities, and we mess them up. Not all of God's children are thankful to the Lord for what God's given to them. And God has given to them talents and abilities and skills and so forth, and they use it for the things of the world and not for Him. And they don't honor God. I believe it breaks God's heart. Well, anyway, he says here in Number three, Philippians 2, 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It's working out what God's put in. See, God says, put the word of God into your mind. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So God wants us to work out what he has put in. So it's like giving you a piece of ground. God gave every one of us 10 acres of ground when we got saved. He says, now I want you to plant something. 
And if you just leave it go, all you're going to get is briars and thorns and rocks. And is that, or you can work the land and produce some fruit. This time God's given to you is this piece of land. And God wants to give you some time. And He wants you to clean out some things out of your life. He wants you to plant some seeds. The greatest thing you'll ever build is not a ministry or a workplace or anything like that. The greatest thing and the strongest thing you'll ever build is yourself. Building up yourselves in your most holy faith. How strong are you in the Lord? Have you ever heard that faith without works is dead? Or have you ever read James chapter 2? Does your faith produce good works? Some teach that if you don't serve the Lord, you're not saved. Is that true or false? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book. Or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.